Tonight we're studying letter number 12. There's 32 letters in this book. Number 12. And it happens to be, it's another appeal for tzedakah. It's an undated letter, so we don't actually know when it was written. Probably sometime in the late 1700s, early 1800s, because that's when most of the Alter Rebbe's appeals for tzedakah were written when he was collecting for the community in Israel, the Hasidic community who went to represent all of Hasidism in Israel. Um, yet, it takes a bit of a different turn. The topic, the thrust of the letter is about shalom, peace. This week and next week, both letters are about peace, two different types of peace. What's the most important ingredient for peace? Willing parties. Anybody want to give a guess? What's the most important ingredient for peace? Larry says willing parties. Not giving. 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 That's not cash. Justice. Giving. Justice. Compromise. Compromise. Love. Love. War. 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 Truth. Truth. Julian hit it on the head in Kabbalah. The Zohar makes the case that the first ingredient for peace is conflict. Without conflict, without tension, there's no peace. There's no peace. There may be rest. There may be easiness. But if there's no conflict, you can never achieve peace. But certainly in spiritual pursuits. Way back when, there was a great line that Dennis loved to quote, which is, if there's no fight, pick a fight. Remember that? In Yiddishkeit, there has to be tension in your life. If it's just going easy, you're heading down. People talk about retirement, that a lot of people sort of wither at retirement. Yes, because, because of that. You can that. only take it easy so much. Right? Yeah, you know, where, you know where the people rest in peace? <laughs> yeah, in a cemetery. So long as we're alive, we need, we need friction. We need something. We need something to push us. In 1968, um, there was a historic moment when they sent, for the first time, a shuttle around the moon. And the Rebbe, uncharacteristically, came out and held a special fabrengen, unscheduled, on the Shabbat after that event. He always would fabreng on the Shabbat before the new month. In those years, that's the only time he came out. He came out specially, and the entire fabrengen, from the beginning to the end, was dedicated to learning lessons in the service of God from this orbit. And the Rebbe spoke extensively about what space shuttles can teach us in the service of God, what space can teach us in the service of God, what reaching space as a human teaches us in the service of God. Anyway, a whole bunch of things, fascinating stuff. Where is that stuff written? Wow. Where do you, where you can you find, it, find in, it in what's called Torah Menachem. It's the compendium of the, the Rebbe's talks published in volume number 54. Wow. Okay, that's where you can wow. find it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, in volume 54, that's where it would be. That's the talks from the winter of 68. Because it goes by year. The Rebbe never spoke topically. It was always the only way they categorized it was by date. So I happen to know where that is. Anyway, the Rebbe said one, one observation. He said when, when the scientists were trying to figure out how to get a vehicle into space, they said... Um, in general, we have to learn from flight. Flight on Earth. When planes were being invented, there was some debate as to whether they should make 
a device that's lighter than air so that it can float, or something which should force by the power of thrust or pressure or an engine, force its way through the air and by pushing away and creating you know, lighter, lighter lift or creating lift, thank you, they would make it fly. So the whole debate was only possible where there's air. But once you go to space and you're beyond the atmosphere, there is no option to uh, seemingly to create lift. And yet, when you create lift, that's the most conducive way to fly through. Otherwise, you're just leaving yourself to the flotation of whatever atmosphere you're in, and you have to be at the mercy of, of the circumstances. You can't move on your own. So they wanted to make this space shuttle fly, but there's nothing going against it. So what did they do? And the scientists among us will give us the exact names for this, but apparently they were able to create thrust from within the rocket itself. Right? The rocket itself produced the counterpressure, and then the rocket was flying against its own created counterpressure. And the Rebbe said, sometimes, what a Jew learns from this is that sometimes it's not enough to wait for the world to give you something to fight. It's not enough to wait for friction from the outside and then say, now I'm going to battle it. Sometimes you've reached a pinnacle where things are working out for you, they're going good. And then that's when you have to create your own counterpressure. You have to set your own goals. You have to set your own challenges. I'm going to overcome this just because I want to. And that's how you maintain a consistent growth. Otherwise, you're going to stagnate. So peace can only be achieved from within a state of conflict. In fact, the Midrash says that Sunday, first day, of creation is called Yom Echad, one day, not the first day, one day. Why? Because God was one in his world. Monday is the day which symbolizes division. The waters parted. And Tuesday is the day associated with peace. Why? Because peace only comes after division. Day one was oneness, great stuff, but not peace. Peace can only be achieved when you have conflict. And then all the other great things that everybody said, compromise, willingness, justice, truth, those are all elements that contribute towards the bringing of the peace. But the first thing is the conflict. When you achieve peace from within conflict, there's two ways to achieve peace. I call it peace from within, peace from without. Peace from within means when the two conflicting parties or elements can find it within themselves to harmonize. The harmony comes from within the tension. But other times, that's not always achievable. And you rely on peace from without. Let's call it imposed peace. A peace that comes from the revelation or the introduction of something that transcends the conflict to the point that the conflict now no longer matters. Hasidus gives two classic metaphors to illustrate this. One is when you have rivaling ministers. Two ministers work for the same king, but they rival each other. This one wants this to get done. That one wants that to get done. And by the nature of their jobs, they have to kind of clash sometimes. But then, when the king himself enters 
and when his agenda is set on the table, they get along. They get along to service the king's agenda. They still retain their own character. This minister still wants that, that minister still wants this. But for the purposes of the king's agenda, we'll get along. A very similar metaphor, Chassidus gives in the courtroom. You have a prosecutor and the defender, a lawyer. One is arguing the case for this person to be acquitted. The other is arguing the case for him to become guilty. Each one has valid arguments, let's say. Same king walks into the courtroom and he says, today is pardon day. I'm feeling good, so I want to pardon the next guy up on the stand. He comes in, and now the guy goes free. So what happened here? Did the prosecutor change his mind? Does the prosecutor now think that the guy is innocent? No. But is he going to submit to the king's will? Absolutely. He will make peace, let's call it, with the lawyer, not from within, because on their own terms, they still have their views about how it's going to be. But because the king's face is shining, it's the, the verse says, when the, king, when the king's face shines, there's, there's life. When the king is here, everybody gets subsumed into the king's will. So in the same way, mystically, the Alter Rebbe says, Hashem does something similar. Every day in davening, three times a day, in fact, we say a famous verse, Oseh shalom bim romav, hu yaseh shalom aleinu v'al kol Yisrael. Yes? What does it mean, literally? Oseh shalom bim romav means, he who makes peace in his high heavens should also make peace below. What does it mean Hashem makes peace in the high heavens? So the Talmud says that the peace that Hashem makes is that there's two angels, the angel Michael and the angel Gavriel. Michael is the angel of water. Gavriel is the angel of fire. And yet, even though water and fire are mutually exclusive, Hashem makes sure that they don't extinguish one another. That's the Talmud's verbiage. Now, everything in the Talmud, when we talk about angels and heavenly stuff, is, is an illusion. He's not an angel of water or fire. These are not physical things. What it means is the following. Angels different from humans, are polar. Human beings have the capacity to have the full panorama, the full spectrum of emotions. We can express ourselves in one way, and the next day, express ourselves in the completely opposite way. Angels don't have that capacity. They, what they do, they do great. But outside of what they do, they don't know how to incorporate it. They have no way to be anything other than that which they're programmed to be. So, Michael, the angel Michael, is the prototype for divine generosity, for what's called chesed. He sees everything through the lens of kindness. He's a giver. He promotes God's expression of giving. Like water, which literally flow downwards, he's all about the giving spirit. And that's all he can see. He can't see past that. You bring him anybody, anything that can't help itself, he just wants to help it. He doesn't care about why. He doesn't care about how they got into the situation. Nothing. He is a giving channel of chesed. 
Gavriel, on the other hand, is called the minister of fire because fire goes upwards. It's a representation of the divine attribute of givura, which is severity or withholding, judgment, honesty, purity. That's all Gavriel wants. Show him anybody, show him anything. He wants to get down to the nitty-gritty, tell me exactly why he's this way, why she's this way, what brought them here. I don't give so easily. I want to know. And if it has to be brutal, I'll be brutal. That's how he is. Now, the interesting thing about givura, about uh, withholding, is that it's not cruel. It's just honest. So if givura can ascertain that somebody deserves to be given to, they may give even more than chesed would give naturally. You think of it kind of like a guy, you know, in California, we're full of them. You come down the freeway exit, and there's somebody there with a sign, you know, homeless, please help. The chesed guy, he doesn't even think twice. He opens up his wallet, gives the dollar. The gevura guy, Gavriel, angel, he says, no, why should I give you? Maybe if you'd get a job, you'd support yourself, you wouldn't have to be here begging for money. You make bad decisions. You don't deserve it. I don't give just to everybody. <laughs> okay? But let's say the guy was at a long red light, so he had time to even converse with this homeless. Gets into conversation, and he actually finds out that by no fault of his own is he in this circumstance. He didn't make any bad decisions. Life dealt him a bad hand. And uh, by a series of events, no fault of his own, again, he ends up where he ended up. What may happen is that the Givura guy will pull out his wallet and instead of one dollar, he may give a hundred. Where the chesed guy, he's just a giver, so he rolls down the window, he gives whatever it is. He doesn't care to find out. He'll never be extra generous because that's just his nature. He just gives at whatever level. Givura says, no, I gotta hear what's going on. If you deserve it, you'll get more from me. If you don't, you don't get anything. That's the conflict. That's the, these two angels are constantly pushing for Hashem to be generous or for Hashem to be exacting. For Hashem to be a giver or for Hashem to be making people accountable. Is there any better way to be? Oh, is there any better way to be? Or is there any better way? There's a better way. Says the verse, Oseh Shalom Bimromav. Hashem can make peace between the two. These two can't see eye to eye. If you live a lifestyle of chesed, that's the way you live. If you live a lifestyle of gevura, that's the way you live. But Hashem is able to introduce a third element, a deeper element, a more infinite element when His presence is revealed. What's deeper than chesed and gevura? In Kabbalah we call it tiferet which means beauty, or also known as rachamim, compassion. <laughs> compassion says, I don't just give because I'm generous, but I also don't hold back when I find out that there may be reason to. Because I can step into the other person's shoes, see the lack for what it is, no matter what the cause, and give nonetheless. It's able to 
incorporate both elements. There's an honesty in which Tiferet is inquisitive. It wants to know. Give me the details. But even if the conclusion is this guy may, may not be deserving, Tiferet can acknowledge that and go past it. Indeed, he doesn't deserve. And yet, I'm going to give. That's what we always ask Hashem for. If you look at the davening, it's always interspersed with this request of rachamim. God have mercy on us. Avinu av harachaman. This expression of mercy is all over the place. Why? Because that's ultimately what we want from God. We say, Hashem, be honest. Don't just gloss over everything and give. Take a look, but give nonetheless. It's the giving that comes from the place of being able to feel the other. Not just dictated by your nature. It's also the reason why it's called Tiferet. Tiferet in Hebrew means beauty. Beauty is not a thing. It's a result that's achieved from the harmony of things. So for example, how many colors do you have to add to a mixture to get beauty? The beauty is the arrangement of the colors. When the artist can take the paint and rub this one a little that way, that one and the other way, and he brings the colors together, then he creates beauty. Beauty is like the untouchable infinity. It's the zero that adds everything. It's essentially incorporating the infinite into the finite. That's Hashem's capacity. Oseh shalom bim romav, real peace means to introduce something that transcends both qualities of the two parties. And by that introduction, you create a new entity, a peace. You're asking about you and your wife. That's, that's the peace you should be looking for. They always talk about, right? A marriage is, you take a man and you take a woman and they create a third entity. That's the marriage. The marriage is not me or you, it's the us. And also shalom means shalom. That's very true. That's, shalom does share the root with shalom because that's exactly what it is. It, achieve, it brings completion. <clears throat> that's the shalom that Hashem does. Oseh shalom bim romav. There's also a peace that takes place on earth. That's peace in heaven. Then you got peace on earth. Peace on earth, the Alter Rebbe describes as the making or the psyche of this world. There's positive forces that are fighting for good. There's negative forces that are fighting for evil. Every single person inside has two voices. We're always being pushed in two directions. It may not be fair, but the Zohar says that in this world, the way it is currently in our reality, the negative forces have a disposition to win. So we're fighting an uphill battle. It's not easy. And it's not just enough to listen to the good side. Peace. Peace is when you can incorporate both. Peace is when you can incorporate that which challenges you and make it a catalyst for growth. Peace is not ignoring 
the strange or evil proclivities that we may have. Peace is recognizing it and saying, I'm going to make this work. Because otherwise, you're just, you're just shunning. One of the biggest revolutions. Today we take it for granted. But one of the biggest revolutions that the Rebbe spearheaded was the using of technology as a force for good. When the TV, the radio even at first, was in the process of changing reality as we know it, many, many prominent, foremost leading rabbis of the time said, this has to be shunned. There is no place for technology in the Jewish society because it, it won't work. You get sucked into it and that's it. It's never ending. And the rabbi said, no. Everything that Hashem created in this world, he created for his honor, which means that every single tool that we're exposed to has to be used in the pursuit of Hashem. And if in 19... 50s or 60s, we have the capacity to, with radio to reach the whole world, we have to teach Tanya on the radio. That's what he did. He started a weekly Tanya class on the radio. And when TV, satellite television came out, first thing, broadcast the Fabrengans. You could flip the channel and you would see the Rebbe right there. That's peace. Because when you incorporate all the parties and then you use it for the right thing, now you've achieved the ultimate peace. Now, the truth is that Alter says that true peace will only happen when Mashiach comes because the thing, with, the thing that, that distinguishes our world from the heavenly spheres is that in our world, we actually have negativity. See, in the heavens, you got two angels, two polar angels. Okay, they're fighting, different agendas, but they're both holy. Here, the negative forces that we contend with, they're not just laziness and apathy. They're actual evil sometimes. So that, you can never make peace with that. That has to be removed from the world, which will happen when Mashiach comes. The, the, the prophet says, I'm going to remove the spirit of impurity from the land. So that's the, you know, the ultimate. But now, in our own ways, these are the kinds of peace that we have to create. Hashem creates peace on heaven, we have to create the peace on earth. Alter Rebbe makes the case that um, a great time to experience a miniature version of this peace, this, this wholesomeness with self, is during davening each day. Because prayer is a literal meeting with God. It's a time in the day that we put aside everything else and we focus on that which is the most real thing in life, a relationship with the infinite. There is nothing more real than a connection with Hashem. Davening itself, the word tefillah means connection. When we daven properly, we experience a moment of peace within ourselves, and it gives us the ability to keep it going when we're outside davening. You know, it's easy to cover your eyes and say Shema, and then when you open your eyes and see the world, now you gotta keep you gotta keep it alive. Be that as it may, that's our job. Peace above, peace below. Peace in the holy realms, peace in the mundane realms.
question is, is there something we can do to create it? Is there something we can do to facilitate the peace process? Oh, how did you know? It's the go-to. It's the go-to. The answer, the answer is tzedakah. That is the answer. Now, the Alter Rebbe does say, yeah, he makes mention of Torah study, he makes mention of davening. Those are also great tools and important tools. But he says that there's something that tzedakah can accomplish that nothing else can in this process of peace. In general, you know, Kabbalah teaches that we can create the responses we want from above. The, the Aramaic words for this are itaruta diletata, itaruta dileela. With an awakening from below, we create an awakening from above. Every time we seek Hashem's expression in a certain way, we act in a way that mirrors that it's the best springboard. So the Alter Rebbe says, peace in its ultimate form, like I said before, means compassion. Giving even though there's a non-deserving element. Nothing better does that in this physical world than helping the helpless. Helping the helpless with an act of tzedakah is exactly that which we want from Hashem. It's a fascinating concept because I think only in, in when we study Kabbalah and Hasidus do we see how physical deeds can influence our spiritual success. And when you think about it, you know, a Jew is, you would think, a human with a soul. There's a body, a physical element, and a spiritual element. If we want to feed the spiritual element, we've got to do spiritual things. We want to do, feed the physical element, we do physical things. We eat and sleep and drink so that our bodies are well fed, and we daven and learn and do mitzvahs so that our spiritual elements are fed. But in the ultimate form of Yiddishkeit, it's the physical that sustains the spiritual. The Rebbe nonstop campaigned about this. You probably heard many, many stories where people were sick, and the Rebbe said, you know, check the tefillin and the mezuzahs. Many times Rebbe would say that, check it, and there's so many stories of people that, you know, the exact word that was disqualified in the tefillin or the mezuzah matched the condition. In fact, you want a fresh story. Five days ago, I got on a phone with a 27-year-old man who just moved here to Sherman Oaks, and um, he tells me he wants to get more involved in coming to shore. I said, what happened? What sparked it? He says, I'm still in shock from the story. He got, he was carrying a, a tray, once, routine thing, and something bent in his, in his arm and began to cause him tremendous pain. And to the point that it went up his arm into his shoulders and started affecting his nerves, he broke a rib, it just got terrible in the matter of months. And he's still suffering with it. Tell the call. Tell the call. Give me a number. What is it? Anyway, the Chabad rabbi where he was living at the time, not, not now, where he was, said, you know, you should check your tefillin. He checked his tefillin. Last week, Thursday, came in the results from the scribe. One word in the tefillin was disqualified. Have a guess. 
Yad Chazaka, strong arm. <laughs> strong arm was the one word that was disqualified. He, he changed it to Philip. He's getting the new ones this week. And maybe next week I'll have the end of the story. <coughs> maybe, maybe Slava will be the, uh, the agent. You know, there's always an agent from Hashem. <coughs> <laughs> Puts you out of business, that's a problem. But, but what is it? It's a hocus pocus? Somebody once asked the rabbi, like, what, what, what does this mean? You get to fill in the mezuzahs, it changes the, 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 the diagnosis. The rabbi said it's very simple. The way Hashem wired the Jewish people is that physicality and spirituality go hand in hand. That's just how it is. Other people in the world, doesn't necessarily work that way. But for a yid, Gashmias and Ruchnias, physicality and spirituality, they go hand in hand. So if you see an issue in physicality, you can almost guarantee, trace it to something spiritual. And it's not a punishment. Everyone always say it's not a punishment. It's a protection device. It's a preemptive measure. When the spiritual things are all in place, everything works out. So in the, therefore, the Alter Rebbe says, you may not, it may be counterintuitive, but when you give the physical cash, it creates a spiritual result. Then the Alter Rebbe has to go a little where it hurts, a little uncomfortable. He says, there's giving and there's giving. Because the Talmud says that one of the three inherent traits to every Jew is that he is a giver. Jews by nature are givers. So, if you just give tzedakah, regular giving of tzedakah, you'll create the peace. That's what tzedakah does. One plus one equals two. But, you're going to create a lower standard of peace. He calls it a peace that won't last. Bring them together, but then tomorrow you'll have to do the work again. Because you've given in mediocrity, so the result you achieve is a contained, a limited peace. But if, says the Alter Rebbe, you give in a way that demands from you it's work. It's not easy. It's toil. You're sweating when you give the check. <laughs> then, the peace that that achieves, says the Alter Rebbe, Hashem will infuse it with a, with a little help that it'll be lasting. <clears throat> There's an interesting verse that the Alter Rebbe connects this whole thing to. In, in Isaiah, in Yeshaya, it says, V'haya ma'aseh ha'tzedakah shalom, the deed of tzedakah, brings peace. The work of tzedakah brings serenity, security forever. Seems like a poetic a double expression. The deed of tzedakah brings peace. The work of tzedakah brings serenity forever. Atabu says, no, very different. If you give tzedakah like another deed, something that I do, it's who I am. I'm Jewish. I give. You're going to get peace. No problem. 
But the everlasting, the eternal aspect won't be there. Avodat Hatzdakah. If a tzedakah that you give is work, then you get hashkeit vavetach adolam. Then you get a serenity and a tranquility that endures. Because you pushed yourself beyond your nature, so Hashem gives the peace something that's beyond its nature. Has anyone discussed whether or not like how much? Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to encapsulate it, but um, maybe just wrap myself around it. But when you work, um, just as, a, as a, an example, yeah, you you're there at a funeral, <coughs> physically help make sure that the coffin is covered. Uh huh. That's a form of tzedakah. Sure. But it's um, it's physical Shh. labor, and the, and if I if I understand it correctly, the physical labor, something that actually takes something from you physically, not just I'm stroking a check and have a nice day, that that creates the quiet, the peace, and the, the serenity, the eternal serenity. And it, is there a discussion whether that it's actually the physical act of giving your own? physical effort versus um, cash or mm. check or something, which is less, it's less effort to give it, possibly, than the physical labor. So is there a discussion of that? Not in the Tanya. Okay. In the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe always talks about um, money. Okay. And in that, you're right. Sometimes you just stroke it and it means nothing. But sometimes you stroke it, and it means something. I mean, anybody associated with SVB, this current events? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people didn't want to give Tzedakah after that time. Forget who brought it about. The bottom line is, if somebody had their money with them, now it's going to be much harder for that person to give Tzedakah. Look, let's, let's, let's put it this way, okay? The poor person doesn't care about your intention, right? The poor person just cares that you gave the money. That's the bottom line. On that end, nothing can ever counter any act of tzedakah because the bottom line is now there's more in the guy's bank. We're talking on a personal level of service of God. If for you, everyone knows themselves, I can't judge you, you can't judge me. Nobody, it, it's everybody has to judge themselves. You know when you've given tzedakah to the point of making yourself uncomfortable or not. So long as you're staying within your capacity of nature, you get natural returns from God. You go supernatural, the Alter Rebbe's promise, you get super, supernatural results from Hashem. Now, Jeff was making a good point, which is physical or, or cash. Again, leave it to your judgment. You know if you're resorting to the physical acts to get out of writing the check, because you have those guys, right? Let me go and give tzedakah with my body so I don't have to touch my bank account. Or they're honest to God, giving of themselves because they want to. This is not a, you know, I can't make rules on this. Every person knows within themselves when they're transcending the limits and when they're not. Yeah. It's not true that we ha they have to give unconditional love in terms of like Sadako, we Sadako, we, we couldn't expect. Yes. That's the, look, that's if you can, that's a very whole, exactly. If you can do that, no problem. If you can do it, sure, sure, 
Yeah, we're not we're not in the business of making deals with Hashem. But nevertheless, the Talmud makes it clear that you can. If that's what motivates you, and again, the supernatural element is key. You're going you're going past what you could usually give. Then you go for it. And the Alter Rebbe says that 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 promises serenity. And the Hebrew word, that's where he closes, is he says the Hebrew word for serenity is hashket. Hashket means sheket. And in, in, in Talmudic lingo, it's used for when you have wine and the sediment parts with the liquid. So all the sediment goes down and then you're left with clear liquid on the top. That's the state of sheket. So he, he throws in a little wrench. He says, you give supernatural tzedakah, you're going to get supernatural returns. But the peace is only like sediment, which means you can still stir the pot and make it murky again. The lasting peace that Hashem promises is if you don't get in the way, <clears throat> you don't actively disturb it. Sediment's always there. Like it says in the verse, you throw the sins in the depths of the sea. They go to the bottom. They sink to the bottom. But you don't just just make sure you don't stir the pot. You don't stir it. And I, I can't. I saw today uh, a handwritten note from the Rebbe. The Rebbe said you have to check the manuscripts of this letter because it can't be that Alter Rebbe would conclude on a negative note. There must be some part missing. We don't have it till today. They haven't found it. The, the, but the Rebbe says with certainty there must be another part a positive ending because the Alter Rebbe would always end with positivity. And in fact, the very next letter, letter 13, begins with the words, Ma Rav Tufcha, how great is your goodness? So maybe that's the positive ending. But for us, the positive ending is tzedakah is what makes the peace. And we get to decide what kind of peace we make. Natural tzedakah, natural peace. Supernatural tzedakah, supernatural peace. L'chaim. 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 L'cha